So I'd love you to welcome John as he comes to speak this morning. John, over to you. Thank you very much. All right, can you all hear me nice and clearly? Yes, that, was, that wasn't very assertive. All right, you can hear me, right? Oh, that's better, that's much better. All right. Good morning. Well, it's, my, um, it's really my pleasure this morning to be able to speak on something that, for me, is, is very close to my heart or very close to home for me. And for those of you that don't know me so well, obviously, my name is John. But five days a week, 50 weeks a year, you can find me out in the, the worst of the worst weather and the best of the best weather. I am a gardener by trade. That's what I've done for the last 12 years. And it's been a great job. I absolutely love my job. I love what I do. I've learned lessons over the years from it, through it. And, and it's, it's, it's remarkable. I, I, as I was preparing this, I, thought, I stopped and I went, 12 years? 12 years? I, like, wow, I'm really cracking on in age. Um, uh, I couldn't believe it. 12 years, married, three kids. I look like I'm 15 still. But uh, it, here we are, 12 years in. I've done this job for 12 years. I've been through the worst winters, the best summers, the worst summers and the best winters. And, uh, and this morning what I get to do really is uh, hopefully bring some of the lessons that I've learned into this sermon this morning. So uh, we are, obviously Jez has mentioned already, we're going through Blueprint, this teaching series Blueprint, where we're looking at the underlying foundations, observing the underlying foundations for building a healthy church. The church is the people of God. The church is God's movement on the earth to help bring reconciliation for those that do not, him to, do not know him to know him. God uses us. He uses us here in Seaford, which is exciting. But it's important as we realize that, that we get church right, that we build to the very best that we can build, that we understand what we're doing, that we're skillful in it, faithful in it. Uh, and these things matter. So this morning, I don't know how well you know your Bible, but the Bible, I, I'm sure many of you actually know the Bible far better than I do, but you will know then that the various writers in the Bible, they often use horticultural, that's gardening, uh, or farming, that's agriculture. He, they use agricultural and horticultural uh, similarities between the world around us, creation around us, managing creation around us, and our own lives, applying our own lives. And there's a lot of stuff that you can take out of gardening and take out of farming, and you can take those lessons and apply them into your own life. And I really hope that this morning I'll be able to do that from a gardening perspective. Okay, so... We are going to jump in straight away. I've got, I'm already down on time. So we've got 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9. So we're going to jump straight in. I realize there is so, as, as I've said already, there is so many passages I could have chosen that display gardening and God's character and our character, etc. But I wanted to choose this one in 1 Corinthians 3. So Paul is a famous, or a big leader in the church at the time. We're looking about 2,000 years ago. Paul is a big leader in the church. He's writing to a church in the city of Corinth. And he says this. It will come up behind me. What then is Apollos? In verse 5, what is Paul? Servants through who you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, that's Paul writing, I planted, Apollos watered. But it was God who gave the growth. So neither he pl who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I want to stop there. We are God's field. 
God is writing to the church and saying, you are God's field, God's creation, God's, God's garden on earth. Okay, I'm a gardener, so I'm going to strip the word of field and say, look, let's just call it garden. Let's call it a garden. We are God's garden. We as a church get to play this role as God's garden. And actually what we also saw is Paul and Apollos, they also got to be God's, hand, God's, God's co-workers. So they get to play the part of undergardener. I don't know, if you know how much you know about gardens and estate management. Estates, garden estates, big estates, you have a head gardener. And under the head gardener, you have several undergardeners. You go to any national tr- pr- trust property, and that's how it functions. And Paul and Apollos get to play this role, we see here, as being undergardeners, co-workers with God. And we, he talks to the church and says, you are God's field, God's beautiful handiwork. I don't know if you've seen a beautiful garden. They're incredible, aren't they? When you visit a National Trust property or perhaps a wedding venue, you look around the gardens, they're stunning. There's so much variation. You can see the different types of leaves, different kinds of plants, different colors, different shapes, different varieties. There's so much contrast, and it's all beautiful when it's managed well. We, as a church, get to be the garden of God. Now, I don't know how much you know. I, I was uh, looking through Facebook recently, and I, I watched this uh, video by Chris Pratt. Anyone heard of Chris Pratt by show of hands? Heard of Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt, for those you who don't know, is a famous American actor. He's made famous by the Jurassic Park films, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, kids' films, essentially. Uh, he's been made famous by those films, and uh, he's a brilliant actor, but actually he's a Christian, and, and he won recently the Generation Award, which I, I, I don't know any more than that. He won an award. And at the award, he got to give, a le- uh, he decided to take his opportunity to give 10 lessons for his life. And, it, and he started with these lessons, and he just preached the gospel. It was an amazing moment of a man taking the opportunity to preach the gospel. He didn't just do it, he did it very funny. He added five serious points, take-home points for application for young people like myself. And then he also added lots of silly bits like, flush the loo after you've left the toilet, that kind of thing. Well, this morning, uh, inspired by his famous speech, I thought, well, I would like to do something similar. So I have taken this morning seven transferable lessons from gardening, okay? You've got to bear with me. I'm going to race through them. I will expand on each in a moment. But here, I hope, are seven transferable lessons. Number one, there are no shortcuts to a beautiful garden. A beautiful garden takes time takes hard work, and it takes patience. There are no shortcuts to a beautiful garden. Point two, winter won't last forever. I know in this country, as a gardener, it feels like sometimes it does, particularly this year. just went on and on. Winter doesn't last forever. There are times and seasons. Dormancy isn't the same as death. There is life, death, and rejuvenation within the garden, and I want to apply that into God's garden, the church. Okay, point three, don't cut through the branch that you're standing on. A bit of practical wisdom for you. If you're up a tree and you start sawing for a branch, and you suddenly, wait a second, you're going straight down. Don't cut through the branch that you're standing on. A good gardener requires skill and faithfulness. Okay, point four, get a kneeling pad. Helpful bit of advice. Uh, I was passed when I was 20. Get a kneeling pad if you want to be doing this in 20 years' time. And I want to correspond that to prayer and weeding. Point five, don't get caught peeing in someone else's garden. It makes for a very awkward conversation. Point six, water it, don't just hope for the best. A good garden takes preparation for the droughts that are to come. We can also set aside goals 
and we let God put, build the fruit. God does the fruit. God grows. God causes the garden to grow. We saw that already. And then point seven, there's always someone who knows more. Okay, so they're my points for this morning. I'm going to race through them. I've got 15 minutes, so here we go. Point one, we're going to land in Genesis 1.28. God commands Adam. He c- it's not going to come up on the screen. The next one's going to come up on the screen. Genesis 1.28, God commands Adam, who's the figurative head of the human race, and he says to him, fill the air and subdue it. Fill the air, populate the air, take control over it, manage it. It's yours. I'm giving you permission to manage this. Okay, that's in 1.28. Two chapters later, something terrible happens. Adam decides, along with his wife, that instead of following God, he's going to actually trust his own instinct and trust the instinct of him and his wife, believe that actually God doesn't want the best for them, as Vince has already shown us that he does. He does God doesn't want the best for them, and they decide to go their own way. So Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19, if you want to jump back into Genesis with me, it says this. It says this in 3, verses 19, says, well, sorry, verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Note the commission on Adam's life hasn't changed. He's still to fill the earth and subdue it, but it just got a whole lot harder. All of a sudden, this beautiful garden, this creation around him, is now springing forth thistles, brambles, and plants. Hard graft, hard work. Gardening is hard work. This was hard work for Adam. Life just got hard. Uh, Perhaps, uh, when I'm in the garden, what you're trying to do essentially is create order out of what is chaos. Left to its own devices, the garden will go mad, won't it? I I presume living in Seaford, the majority of us have gardens. And you know that if you don't cut the grass for two weeks, unless it's now, the grass will again, uh, two weeks later, be up around your ankles or up around your knees. By nature of what is happening, it's just growing away. The same with weeds. If you leave them, if you leave a garden or you leave a bed untouched, that flower bed untouched, it's going to spring forth weeds. You didn't plant them there, but they blew in from the neighbor's garden. You have to weed them out. Looking after a a garden requires hard work and diligence. Well, it's the same in church life. For us in this world, it can feel like hard work, can't it? You're trying to raise a family, trying to look after three boys. My wife... You ask her if life's hard, she goes, yeah, like these three boys, they don't do what I tell them to. You try to raise a family, they don't do what you tell them to. No, I don't want to come to church today, I want to go and play football with my friends. Or perhaps, perhaps you're going through a, a period or a season in life where it just feels like, I'm just worn out. Like I've just had heard some news from a friend of mine, and, and it turns out that they've just had this really health, serious health scare, and you just... Life's hard work, day in, day out. We're under there, under the same sun, going, I need a break. Life's hard. And it's important as a gardener to recognize this. The Christian life is hard. There are times when it just feels like you're battling perhaps opposition in the workplace. You know, we live in a society where 150 years ago, 50, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, this was, you would regard this as a Christian nation. People generally went to church on a Sunday morning. 
today, we are in the minority. People ask us what we believe, believe in God, and they look at you like raised eyebrows. You believe in like some magician or magic? Like, no, we believe that there's a God and, and he's got these plans and he loves us and, and they think you're mad. A hundred years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, we're, we're living in a, a period of time where being a Christian is hard work. We, uh, our stances on marriages are opposed. Everywhere you look like, why do you believe that? Why are you being so narrow-minded? Actually, no, this is what I believe God of the Bible says for us. Well, you're putting your trust in the book that's 2,000 years old? Yes. It's, it seems absurd to the people of our culture. But that's what we face. And so I would say that being a Christian today is hard work in the same way that gardening is a hard physical job. It requires time, hard work, and patience. Two, winter won't last forever. Six months ago, I thought the spring would never come. It did, thank goodness. I was up there at the top of a snowy apple tree. There was snow all over the ground, and I was pruning it, preparing it for the year to come, preparing it to put on fruit. So it puts on its fruit in the spring, and in the, well, it starts developing in the spring, and by late summer, August, September, October, you start to bear the fruit of the fruit tree. Well, it feels sometimes like we're just emotionally, perhaps, in a winter, like the times I've just explained already. You feel like you're just, everywhere you go, you're facing opposition. Church life can feel like this too. In, in Western Europe, like I've said, we're in a time where the church feels like it's in this, I guess, late summer. Christianity has bloomed and gone. Spring has gone. Spring was 150 years ago. Growth, excitement. That feels like a long time ago. And so uh, I would want to remind us and encourage us, seasons come and seasons go. Seasons come to an end. You know, when I'm at the top of a fruit tree that's covered in snow and I'm freezing cold because it's minus six, I think spring is coming. There'll be a day where I can take these jumpers and uh, take these, all these layers off and I can enjoy the warmth of the sun again. Dormancy. In winter, things don't necessarily die. There's a time when you do have to cut off that which has died. If you've got a fruit tree, again, fruit tree pruning, you take off the dead, you take off the diseased and the dying so that it's putting its energy into the new growth, into the new fruit. Well, there are times where you need to do that, but what it produces is energy in for the future, and you get times in spring and summer, you start to harvest and reap the benefits. The hard work that went on in the months before, you get to reap the benefits of those. So there are times, there are seasons in life where it feels like hard graft and hard work, and it feels like you're never going to see the end of it. But there are also seasons in life where we get to experience the joy of new life and growth. The excitement of, uh, the expectation that comes with knowing that spring is coming. I don't know if you've ever felt that, it's just like, we've made it. We've made it. The first shoots, the daffs are out, the bright yellow flowers signaling the oncoming of spring. You just think, yes, we're getting there. Perhaps in church life, this church is steadily increasing in numbers. This is super exciting to see. God is building his church. And what's exciting is, and, and what's key is that you remember that God is not a seasonal gardener. God doesn't turn up in March with his lawnmower and disappear again in October. God is with us whether we are experiencing winter, whether it feels like it's hard work, or whether it feels like summer. God is with us year round. He is with us day in, day out. He is committed to us in every season. Point number three, don't cut the branch that you're standing on. I, uh, I was on the side of a hill in East Dean, and uh, there's a great big ash tree, 
and, uh, and we were clearing it because we wanted the sheep to graze this area, but it was covered in gorse and self-seeded trees, trees that have sown themselves, not planted by us. And so we thought, right, we've got to cut, this cut down all the gorse. Okay, we've got this tree we've got to get rid of. So I think, okay, cut down the tree. Uh, I'm up here on my own. I haven't got any rope with me, so I can't tie it to anything. Well, I, I want the tree to fall that way, and the wind's coming from behind me, so I'll work with the wind and where we work it up. Start cutting a felling wedge. So you want the felling wedge is a big wedge in one side of the tree. You want the tree to fall in. So do that. The next side of the tree, on the opposite side of the tree, you cut your, your notch, your cutting notch. And what happens, you cut it slightly above the wedge, and the tree splits along the grain and goes in the direction you want it to fall. So I start doing that. As I start cutting it, I feel the wind push the tree back towards me. We think this is bad news. Just turn the saw off, put it down, run around to the other side of the tree, think, right, I want the tree to fall this way. If it falls down the hill, it's going to roll down the hill. I want it to fall up the hill. The wind is coming this way. Maybe I can pull it and get the wind behind me. Start pulling it. The tree goes. And as <laughs> this tree is coming down on me. Uh-oh. So I dive out of the way and land in the brambles and thistles and gorse that I've cut down previously. An exciting moment in my life. <laughs> Don't tell my mother-in-law. She'll be horrified. And my wife. Um, gardening requires skill and faithfulness. We need to be skilled in what we do. I was not skillful in that moment. Tim Keller says that being a good gardener requires skill and faithfulness. It's all very well being skillful, but if you're not faithful, the garden will get away from you. It's all very well being faithful, but if you're not skillful, then the garden, you're not going to do the things at the right time of year. You're just going to kill the garden eventually. Well, we can apply that into our own life. Because like Paul, although that we as a church are God's garden, we also get to be his co-workers in building this church. You and I get to play our part in sustaining, building, getting part of the kingdom of God in this country, in this town, in this church. And that's exciting. But we must do it with skill and faithfulness. A good gardener knows what season they're in. And he knows what processes and techniques need to be applied in that season. You know, if you've got a flower, for example, a foxglove, you know that a foxglove, once it's finished flowering, just stands there looking really horrible. It's a big, tall plant, about this tall. looks beautiful when it's in flower. Lots of pink, little pink, white, yellows, lots of flowers. The moment that finishes flowering, it's still there, but it looks really ugly. If you cut that down, though, that's not going to flower the next year. You, it, it, the, from the flower head comes the seed, and the seed goes into the ground, and that's next year's flower. It's an annual. It produces its own seed. Knowing what season you are in, knowing what the garden does is important. And we can look at how we run Alpha courses when we run Alpha courses. We can start thinking, I want this to happen in the church. I want to see more of this. So what about we've been talking a lot about goals and fruit as a leadership team. What are our goals? What are the things that we want to see happen in this church? Well, we want to see people added to us. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Okay, so we run Alpha Course. That's a goal for us. What's another goal? We invite people to our Alpha Courses. We, we make time where we have barbecues in our street and we invite our friends. We run events like Deer and Beer, where we're inviting people to come and spend time, get to know, and hopefully out of that becomes a relationship, which is an opportunity to spread the gospel. We're diligent in setting goals that we might see some fruit and it is God, as we've already seen from 1 Corinthians 3, that produces the fruit. God produces the fruit, not us. We set the goals. We invite the friends. We are diligent and hard in our faithful and faithful in our friendships. 
We're skillful at times, but we let God bring the growth. Get a kneeling pad. Building church requires a lot of time on your knees. In God's garden, we must get a kneeling pad and spend time weeding. There are things in our lives that creep up when we're not looking. Things in our lives that we need to pull out. We're in a generation, uh, there's a generation of young men whose lives have been so influenced by pornography and the easy access to it that it's ruining marriages today and will continue to do so. There's the, the self-sufficiency of our culture which says, you want it, you go and get it. You look after yourself, self first. You know, when that starts to take over and that starts to influence our own Christian life, our walk with God, that ruins our dependency on Him. We need to come back to Him on our knees and submit to His headship, His law, His authority. Spend time on our knees. Point five, don't get caught peeing in someone else's garden. I don't have an applicational point for that. You can make up your own. Um, I do have a colleague who this happened to. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Uh, that's that. <laughs> covered. Covered. Water it, don't just hope for the best. Really racing here now. If you're planting this week, you need to water it. You've seen the weather out there. There is dry and arid. Nothing is going to grow if you do not water it. Well, it's the same for church life. Water it. Spend time. In the 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted, Paul, I planted, Apollos watered. So, Paul set up the church, established the church in Corinth. Then he obviously goes overseas on his missionary trips. What happens next is Apollos joins the church, or Apollos comes in and starts teaching. And what you've got there is someone who is caring for, nurturing the church of God. We must nurture our garden, this church. If you're not in part of a life group, join a life group. If you're not in a group of some sort, not spending time fellowship, being with friends, being with like-minded individuals, Christians, get in there. It's the time that we are watered. It's a serious point. If you're not in a group, get in one. They are good for sustaining life. Without it, we wilt and we die. Point seven, there is someone who knows more. This really excites me, and I've been desperate to get to this point since I started. There is a head gardener who is in control. Uh, in John 20, it's going to come up on the screen behind me, there's this amazing moment where Mary Magdalene, uh, and I've stolen this from a book, which I'm going to read from in a moment. John 20, there's this amazing moment where Mary Magdalene turns to Jesus, who is just risen from the grave. She, when she runs down to the grave, it's empty, and this is what happens. Jesus said to her, verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, you have carried him away. Uh, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Teacher. I'm going to stop there because I'm running out of time, but there is, there is someone who is the true gardener. There is someone involved in our lives who knows the best pruning processes. There's a time when stuff needs to be removed, when there are painful decisions that need to be made. There are weeds that do need to be pulled out. But do you know what? We have a gardener who is faithful. He is the most skilled. He is the most diligent. 
He works in every season of your life. He's there day in, day out, nurturing and caring for his garden. In a, there goes the phone. In Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, he opens with a quote. Uh, Richard Dawkins, those you don't know, is a massive anti-Christian or anti-God. And he opens his book by saying, uh, with a quote from Douglas Adams, and he says, Isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom as well? To which we answer as Christians, yes, but you might believe in a gardener. And here's that gardener, Jesus Here's how he nurtures and looks after his church. Jesus. Even now, he's cultivating his garden. Even now, the second Adam, the true son of man, is tending his Eden. And as we submit to his skillful hand, our hearts and our lives, though perhaps locked time, or though for a time locked and dead, will break forth into green. This work involves death and rejuvenation. Jesus is very strong and clever with his pruning knife. He knows how to cut the dry dead wood away, and we can trust him. We can trust his process because he, because it is through the process of dying and resurrection that we find rest. She writes, clothe yourselves, all of you. Peter appeals to us with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. She says, when we go down, God raises us up. When we submit to him, he exalts us. Andrew Murray calls this phenomenon the way of a living, a death life, a process by which we descend each day into the soil, helpless, dependent upon God, and as we trust him, we raise up from the earth itself. We have a Jesus, we have a Savior who is involved, who is able, because he rose from the dead, he is able to transfer that resurrection power into our lives. Because he rose from the dead, even our bleakest days, we know that there is resurrection power in them. They can turn around in an instant because Jesus is on the case. Because Jesus is the head gardener of God's garden. And we as the church are God's garden and we submit to Jesus as head gardener. We're going to end. I just want to end by praying and saying thank you to Jesus. Why don't you close your eyes and join with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that ultimately when death comes to our mortal bodies, again you will raise us to new life. We thank you that there is life, there is death, but there is rejuvenation in you. There is regrowth. There is hope beyond the grave. There is hope beyond the storm. There is life in the darkest moments. There is someone who is able by his life-giving power to lift us up. And Jesus, we want to look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Sarah.